Holy God, we thank you that your spirit does not delay, but it comes at the word of your mouth. You come to pour out your spirit and your love and your grace upon us. God, we come to lift up the name of Jesus this morning and recognize that his name is the name that is above all names. And at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Messiah. He is God. He is the Savior. There is none other name by which we can be saved and experience the joy and the blessing of your spirit in our lives. And so we say, yes, yes, yes. Holy God, come this morning. Speak your word to us. Speak your life into us so that we can go today knowing that we have been touched by the living God. And for that reason, we are forever and ever and ever changed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to add my welcome to you this morning to our first again together at 10 service where we have been trying to uh, listen to the Spirit's leading in our lives and to uh, capture uh, how, how we can be keeping in step with the Spirit as a faith community. And uh, so I came back from the summer being gone, and I got to hear the stories of how God was blessing everyone in this place. And uh, being together at 10 through the summer, there was just an energy and a goodness. And, and we went back to two services because we assumed we had too many people to fit in one room and have room for new people that were going to come. And we started saying, well, do we have to assume that that's the only way we can do it? Or if that's where God is leading us, maybe we need to try and make some changes and do some things to get more seats in the room and to work on our parking and to be a a more hospitable place. And we just decided that's what we wanted to do. And so today we are celebrating that God has called us to worship together at this 10 o'clock hour to be a united congregation in his spirit. Now we don't know where this is leading or or whether we'll be able to stay together at 10 forever. You know, the, the joy is that we can keep in step with God's spirit. And each step is just a step of obedience as we follow Jesus as his disciples. Amen. I have to tell you that I am excited to be able to all be together in one service. It is such a blessing, and the energy in this room is palpable, and I hope that you sense God's Spirit. Before we jump into the, the time of message, though, I also want to acknowledge that, that not all of us and, and not all of the people that we know are experiencing the goodness of God's blessing. And I just want to uh, share that uh, our own Dara Anderson shared this morning that one of her close friends named Kimmy, who is a, a, a young Christian woman who has been serving uh, teens and young people who are homeless and at risk, uh, was uh, brutally beaten. And we assume there was an attempted rape, and she is currently in the hospital fighting for her life. And so as we celebrate the goodness of God for us this morning, I just want to invite you to pause with me and uh, to uh, come alongside Dara and her friend, Kimmy, to, to ask for God's healing and his blessing on her life as well. Can we pray for Kimmy this morning? God, it is so hard when we recognize the, the brokenness and the evil of the world that we live in. And we hear the news of people who are broken and betrayed by those around us. The, the very people that you've given to learn how to love one another well, we are the very ones who mistreat and abuse and harm one another. God, we lift up Kimmy to you right now. 
You know her situation. You know what she's going through. And we know that you, God, are the great physician. That because Jesus gave his life, you have brought your healing and your wholeness into this world. And we pray for your healing and wholeness on Kimmy and her body and her life in this moment. God, would you be with her right now through your spirit? Bring your touch upon her. Bring peace and calm to those in her family, in her sphere of influence who know her, knowing that you have her in your hands. And God, bring your people around her to support her and encourage her and help her in her time of recovery, uh, both emotionally and spiritually and physically. God, we know it could be a long road to overcome such a traumatic experience. And so we ask that your healing is upon her because we know that you can do abundantly more than anything we could ever ask or imagine. So we entrust Kimmy to your care today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Uh, coming back from time off, uh, I shared that I, I was coming back in many ways with a lot more questions than answers, um, feeling like there were kind of three key learnings that I was bringing back from the summer, uh, things I've been calling big rocks, three big rocks that I felt like God was leading me to share with you all. And, and in many ways, each of them uh, opens the door to, to more exploration. And my invitation over the last four weeks has been for us to, to open ourselves to asking the hard questions about our lives and our church and our, and, and our faith in Jesus, and, and just opening ourselves to how God may want to answer those questions for us so that as we move forward and we make decisions for our lives and our families and even our church, we are confident that we are making those decisions as a, as a response to the invitation that Jesus has given us to come and follow me. Our theme verse for the summer was Galatians 5.25 that says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. But, but the question I had that I've been sharing with you is, well, what does it look like? to keep in step with the Spirit? Or or more importantly, what does it feel like when you're keeping in step with the Spirit? What what does it feel like? Not like an emotional feeling, that's a part of it, but, but what does it feel like when you're living life in the flow of God's Spirit? When you feel like you're empowered by the presence and the power of God to live out His purposes and to experience the, the joy and the abundant life that Jesus said He came to give us? What does that feel like? And how do we know if we're able to help encourage one another to experience that life more and more. And, and one of the key questions that I think has stuck with me in that process is, is what, what does it mean for us as, as followers of Jesus, as, as human beings even, to be effective in our lives and not just busy? What does it mean? What does it feel like to be effective in our lives, in our, in our church life, in our spiritual lives as husbands, wives, parents, grandparents? What does it feel like to be effective and not just busy? And we've kind of uh, crafted this whole series in the, in the umbrella of our vision and mission as a church, which is to pursue a real life together. What does it look like, feel like to live a, a genuine, authentic, real life together as we connect with God and each other? as we grow in Christ and with one another, and as we learn how to serve others in the name of Jesus. 
So these three key learnings, I'm going to do a little bit of a review because I know not everyone has been with us for the series. And I think not only are these three things kind of connected to each other in that you can't really have one without the other, but I also think that for me personally, and maybe for us as a church, these are going to be three things that we need to keep holding in front of us as a kind of lens through which we are discerning God's guidance for us in the days ahead. The first one is travel light, right? Traveling around the world uh, with small suitcases and, and a few things that were important to us. We, we got to learn that there are some things that are essential and some things that aren't. And you don't really need all that much stuff to be healthy and happy and functional in life. And in order for us to keep in step in the spirit, uh, maybe we need to be thinking that sometimes less is more. We looked at Hebrews 12. Verse 1 in the second half of that says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It's not just sin that we need to overcome and get rid of in our life. Sometimes it might be some good things that we need to let go of because they're getting in the way of God's best things in our lives. For us individually, for you this morning, for your family, for your career, for us as a church? What are some of the good things that might be getting in the way of God's best things for us in this season? How do we learn to live life more lightly? And then the second one we looked at, I I called shared experiences. Uh, We we got in touch with this Airbnb experience app on our phone. And everywhere we went, we connected with local people who gave us an experience of what it was like to live in their town, in their city, or they shared a hobby or a craft or led us on a bike ride and gave us a personal tour. And we got to learn that sharing those experiences with local people changed our experience from, from just being a tourist to actually getting involved in the culture that we were visiting. And if you want to be more than just a a tourist in life, you've got to have shared experiences with local people. So how do we create shared experiences of life here at church and as part of our following Jesus that, that aren't just creating more busy routines or ministry programs at the church that end up feeling more like we're getting on the tour bus together and going around and seeing some religious sites and then going home and just forgetting about what we've experienced? How do we, how do we get to uh, understand that people's experience of Christ and their experience of church often might feel more like a program tour rather than a shared experience of life? And does that impact how we plan to do ministry and do life together in the future? We looked at 1 Peter chapter 4, and in verses 8 through 10, he says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And we talked about how this core understanding that Jesus taught is that that loving God as our Father can't be separated from loving others in our real life together. And that in God's economy, the two things go hand in hand. And if we're not pursuing shared experiences of hospitality and serving one another with the gifts we've been given, are we really experiencing the kind of love in community and the love of God that Jesus is inviting us to experience? See, we said that God has revealed in Christ that love is more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling for one another, right? 
Love is an attitude of the heart that intentionally seeks the good and the welfare of someone else, a real person, someone else that we are actually intentionally serving and using our gifts to be a blessing to. That's when love becomes real in our lives. And in that sense, we've been talking about how discipleship, following Jesus as his students, as his apprentices, is more than just a program of an institutional church, right? It's a lifestyle of every believer who uses everything that they have and everything that they are to be a blessing to someone else in Jesus' name. When we live our lives together in that way, we begin to experience the kind of life, the fruitful life that Jesus said he came for us to experience. Is it possible, we ask, that our goal should not be to get people into church, but to get church into the lives of people? Which leads us to our third key learning, the big rock, which is soul care. Soul care, 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 soul care. Soul care. Soul care. (laughs) If you were with us on that first Sunday, we talked about how the first and most important responsibility each Christian has is the stewardship of their own soul. Why? Because you are the only and best gift that you have to give to God and to those that you love the most. You're the only gift that you have to give. And if you're not your best self, if you're not caring for yourself and giving your best away to God and to others, then what you're doing and what I'm doing and what we do together is we give God and those we love the most the leftovers of our lives. I don't know about you, but I'm not always a big fan of leftovers. They never quite taste as good, do they? (laughs) And yet soul care is often one of the last and the least investments we make with our time and energy. Even in God's name, we often give ourselves away to other things and other people and other endeavors before we take time to make sure that we're putting the oxygen mask on ourselves first so we can stay awake to care for those around us. In many ways, we are a generation of exhausted people. We are baited by our culture into living at breakneck speed and always adding more and more to our schedules and somehow believing the lie that if we don't add all of these things in, that somehow we're going to miss out on the next iPhone release (laughs) and the next little gadget that's going to bring happiness and tip us over the tipping point to finally get us to arrive at that elusive goal of happiness in our life. And so we chase after the wind, but we never arrive and we never get there, but we go faster and faster and faster, somehow thinking that if we keep running on the treadmill of life, we're going to get somewhere. But it always leaves us feeling empty, exhausted, and disappointed. 
And see, the challenge is that our own busyness is robbing us. Uh, it's robbing us emotionally. It's robbing us physically. It's robbing us relationally. And it's robbing us spiritually in our relationship with God. Either we learn how to slow down, take a break, travel light, pursue shared experiences, or we break. Either we learn how to take a break or we break and our families break and our marriages break and our careers suffer. And and, and all of these things have a cascade effect when we don't understand God's priorities and our lives are there to bless us and not to harm us. You see, what the kingdom of God needs isn't an overworked, stressed out, burned out you. What the kingdom of God needs is a a rested, replenished, energized, passionate you. Isn't that what we all desire life to be like? I know I do. I know I need more of God's renewal and energy in my life. But somehow I miss out on this part of God's design when I think somehow in my own strength, I've got to chase after all of these things that are even good things, but they never really satisfy. And I'm going to remind us again today as we go deeper into this issue of soul care that the real challenge, the real challenge, men and women this morning, is that soul care cannot be accomplished in our own wisdom and strength. There is no 10-point plan for good soul care. There is no five easy steps to a happy life. You cannot find it in your own wisdom and strength. There's not enough willpower that you have to knuckle down and make a change in your life to arrive at the happy life that God wants you to experience. It is only accomplished in and through the work of the Spirit of Christ inside of us changing us from the inside out so that we overflow with the gifts of His Spirit. And the blessing that he has for us comes as a result of the work that he does in us, not the work that we do for him. And see, our ability to learn how to let go of some things and travel light and to pursue shared experiences with one another all lead into this ability for God to be working in our hearts and in our lives to do this work that only he can do. Proverbs 4, 23 tells us, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. For everything that you do flows from your heart. I love the words of the New American Standard Version. He says, or it says there, watch over your heart with all diligence. Watch over your heart. Pay attention to what's going on inside of you. Watch over your inner life, your spiritual world with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So how do we actually go about caring for our souls? How will you know if you're being successful in good soul care? How do you measure that? The starting point is always at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
if we're willing to recognize that we don't have what it takes to figure this out, that we don't have the strength to make the changes and the choices that we need, and that we are willing to humble ourselves before Christ on his cross, we, we recognize that it is in that process of coming to God with our full, honest need that we connect to the heart of the Father, and we're given the courage and the strength to ask the hard questions and to listen for God's honest answers and to respond obediently to God's invitation to follow Jesus again in our lives. Jesus asked in Matthew 16, 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You see, if the first and most important responsibility each Christian has is the stewardship and the care of their own soul, we have to ask ourselves, how do I care for my own soul? And the answer this morning, men and women, is you can't. You can't. That's why you need a Savior. But the good news, men and women, this morning is that Jesus can. And that's why you need Jesus. And that's why I need Jesus. Because he is not only the savior of the world, he's the lover of your soul. And he's the one who has the wisdom and the strength and the power to bring the healing and the wholeness that you're longing to experience in your life. But so often we're so distracted by all these other things that we miss the very one thing that is most important in experiencing care for our souls. And his name is Jesus. Dallas Willard wrote an article on soul care. And he says, our high calling and sacrificial service can, can find adequate support only in a personality totally saturated with God's love. Let me, let me read that for you one more time, okay? Our high calling and our sacrificial service can find adequate support only in a personality totally saturated with God's love. He goes on to say, it's God's intention that our lives should be a seamless manifestation of the fruit of his spirit. He has made abundant provision for his indwelling in our lives in the here and now. Appropriate attention to the care of our souls through his empowerment will yield this rich spiritual fruit and deliver us from the sad list of what the Bible calls the deeds of the flesh. But we must attend to the means of his grace in practical and specific ways to experience his life into and through our lives. We must attend to the means of grace that he's provided. Now, what are those means of grace? It's kind of an odd phrase, right? But the means of grace, if you think about something that's a means, it's a a method, it's a pathway, it's an avenue to to experience this, this grace that God has invited us to live in. And I'd like to suggest for us this morning three things that, that we know God has given us as, as an avenue or as a pathway to experience his presence and his power in our lives. But then I want to give us a little caveat after I review these three things. The first thing that we know God has invited us to use as a means of grace is reading his word. 
right? The Bible tells us that the word of God is living and active. It's not just words on a page. It's the word of God spoken for the people of God. And the spirit of God comes and uses those words and transforms them. So they're not just words, but they're words to you. And they're words to me. And if we're not spending time reading God's word and engaging God's spirit in that reading process, then we're missing one of the primary means of grace where God has invited us to experience Christ in our lives. You see, if we believe this about God's word, then we're motivated to come to his word, not as a religious duty, but as a place of experiencing his grace in our lives. And that leads us to the second means of grace that he's provided, and that's prayer. Right? We talked about this last week. Prayer isn't just sitting down before dinner and blessing the food, right? It's not just saying a rote ritual prayer in order to get God's good graces and somehow he's going to bless the food so it doesn't make us fat. <laughs> Christian comedian said, God, I pray a hedge of protection around my belly. <laughs> right? Prayer is a conversation. It's an open dialogue with the creator of the universe and the lover of your soul. It's it's an opportunity to bring to God all that we have and all that we are and our our fears and our our worries and our anxieties. But more than that, it's it's our ability to hear back from him. That, that, That we begin to believe that God is a God who speaks and not as he only spoken in his word, but through his spirit, he uses that word to speak a word to us. And we have confidence and our faith grows because we, we don't have to prove that God is real. We know that God is real. Why? Because I met him. Because I have a relationship with him. I know he's real because he's guiding and transforming my life. He's done things for me that I never could have imagined or asked for. And that comes through the experience of prayer. And now you can go through and you can talk about all kinds of prayer and spiritual disciplines. Whether it's fasting or or getting out in nature or, or, or spiritual journaling. Or all different kinds of putting on worship music on the way home in your commute. Rather than listening to news radio. There's all kinds of spiritual disciplines that we can practice that that put us in an attitude of prayer. But prayer is simply having the communication channel open and having an honest back and forth dialogue with God. The third means of grace that God has given us is God's people. It's you and me. It's the people in this room. It's it's those who have said yes to Jesus, who share the same spirit in us that that you share in you. And, And as we come together and intentionally encourage one another in our spiritual walk with Christ, God uses us to speak life into one another. But if, but if we're not engaging with God's people in an intentional way, we run the risk of Sunday morning coming and getting on the tour bus and taking a tour around heaven and then going back home, but never actually experiencing the reason why God has invited us to come in the first place. To meet him. So the means of God's grace are, are readily available to each one of us. God's word and prayer and God's people and, and the challenges that often our lives are so busy and filled to the brim with so many other things, even good things, that we don't spend adequate time investing the limited time he's given us in the things that are going to be most beneficial for our souls. As a result, we end up giving God and those we love the most the leftovers of our lives. But there's also a risk, and here's the caveat. 
The risk is that it can become very easy to turn these means of grace that God has given us into religious have-tos that somehow become indicators of our spiritual worth. The pursuit of personal devotions can become one of the strongholds of a kind of legalism in our lives that allows us to believe that if we check off our spiritual activity checkboxes, that somehow we're doing what God has invited us to do, and therefore he's going to bless us in our lives. And as a result, we can spend even more time pursuing the means of grace in our lives and missing the very thing that God invites us to experience, which is the gift of himself in Jesus Christ. Now, we have a little bit more to go, and I want to look at a story of Jesus' life that I hope brings this point home for us in a very poignant way. In Luke 10, verses 38 to 42, it tells us that as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. (laughs) The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha's opened her home to Jesus. She's practicing hospitality. She's using her gifts to serve others. Martha's doing good things. Martha's doing important things. Martha's Martha's a servant at heart. Don't we need servants? Don't we need people who love to work hard? Yeah. Someone has to do the dishes. Someone has to take out the trash. Someone has to set the table and preheat the oven and, uh, so that the Marys of the world can sit around and enjoy themselves, right? <laughs> I mean, think about what Martha's feeling, right? I'm doing all the work here. That's how many of us feel, and it's perfectly understandable. We need those people. It's just not the way Jesus sees the priorities in this moment. Martha, Martha, the repetition, it connotes a deep love and a a, a compassion for this wonderful sister of his that he loves and that he cares for. Jesus loved Martha. Martha was a a kind lady who was generous to her guests and took hospitality seriously. But the Lord answered her, and I love in the ESV version, it says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. You are anxious and troubled about many things. How many of you want to raise your hand today and say that many days you feel anxious and troubled about many things? I do! I'm Martha. (laughs) The funny thing is that Tammy's Martha too. Martha, Martha. 
but many of us can relate, right? We often go day after day worried, upset, anxious, troubled about many things. And we're also very busy trying to figure out what we can do or what we can add that's going to overcome the anxiety and the fear and the worry in our lives. Often very good and important things, but they're not what matters most. Mary has chosen the better portion. She's the one who's sitting at the feet of Jesus to learn and to worship. She's chosen to spend time with the Savior of the world. I'm not going to take that away from her. Your busyness isn't wrong. It's just not the best. You're missing the point. You're distracted by so many things. It's not enough to let good stuff in our lives, even God's stuff in our lives, fill the cracks of the emptiness in our hearts and our souls. There's only one thing that can satisfy that part of your life, and his name is Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, whether corporately together on Sunday morning or one-on-one with a trusted brother or sister or in the privacy of your own prayer closet, wherever you go to pray, there is nothing that can substitute for what Jesus will do to bring healing and wholeness to your soul. It's the one thing that is necessary. It's the one reason why Jesus came. It's the one gift that he has to offer. Loving Jesus passionately is what he's invited us to do. That's why it's called devotions. Webster's defines devotion as love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person or an activity. How do you keep in step with the spirit? You fall in love with Jesus all over again. John 15, 5, Jesus told his disciples very poignantly, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's really that simple. You see, it's not about a religious duty. It's not about adding so much to your schedule that you're, you're earning brownie points in heaven from doing all of these Christian-y, touristy things that, that, that you get credit for. It, it's learning to love Jesus and more importantly, allowing ourselves to be loved by Jesus. It's the one thing that you need most in your life is the love of God through Jesus Christ to bring a healing to your soul. And it's the one thing that most of us miss because we're so busy and distracted by so many things. We devote ourselves to God's word and to prayer and to engaging with God's people, not to get on the religious tour bus and do the Christian-y thing, but because those are the means by which we meet the presence and the person of Christ through his spirit. It's the means by which Jesus intends to connect with our souls. It's not about how much time you choose to spend and whether you do 15 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day. The question is, did you meet Jesus? Did you talk with him? Did you hear from him? Did he touch your soul? Did you experience his joy and his healing in your life? Pastor Kevin DeYoung wrote a little book called Crazy Busy. 
I'm picking up a lot of books now about these different topics, right? And here's a little one. It's a mercifully short book about a really big problem. (laughs) Right? In his book, he says, no single practice brings more peace and discipline to life than sitting at the feet of Jesus. We can rest because he worked. We can lay down our prideful busyness because he laid down his life. We can keep coming back to him in the midst of our ongoing failures because he keeps his promises to us. He says, I often look at my busy life and I don't know where to start. I wish I exercised more and ate better and kept track of my receipts and programmed the presets in my car and had my files in order and knew where those little thingies were for the basketball pump. (laughs) And in general, didn't feel like I was walking on the knife edge of craziness all the time. My temptation is to tackle everything at once or nothing at all. But the best part, but the best plan is to start with Jesus' plan. Sit down at his feet and just spend time with him. See, the answer isn't willpower. I have to spend more time with Jesus won't last. It has to be the desire of your soul to experience Christ as the lover of your soul and the one who pours out God's blessing without restriction over and over again. And when we realize that's what we're being invited to experience, then why wouldn't we want to sit at Jesus' feet? We won't rearrange our priorities unless we really believe that Jesus is the only priority. Who knows how many little distractions you might set aside in your life in an effort to try and be more like Mary than Martha, right? By spending time with the Lord in his word and through prayer and by engaging with his people, we're likely to gain a whole new perspective and all the hassles and the headaches of our lives. And in the process, the Bible tells us that, you know what will happen? He'll rub off on you. Right? We'll become more like him by spending time with him. We'll see wisdom that wasn't born yesterday or 34 seconds ago on social media. We'll see the wisdom of the ages come to bear on the problems of my life. We'll learn to overcome our fears and to keep our eyes on Jesus, who's the pioneer, the author, and the perfecter of our faith. Without Jesus, we can't do anything. But with him, sky's the limit. And in the process, we will become our best selves that we have to give away to God and to others in Jesus' name. We'll become the best version of ourselves that we can be because the best version we can be is the person that God created you to be when he birthed you and formed you in your mother's womb and sent his son to redeem that person who is inside you and he wants to bless and to turn loose on the world in love and in light and in gratitude. Amen? Maybe devotion to Christ really is the one thing that is necessary. And it's the one thing that many of us are missing in the midst of our busy lives. Men and women, the best way to care for your own soul is to entrust yourself to Jesus. To believe the promise that he is here and that he will meet you in your deepest need. That he loves you passionately. In fact, he gave his whole life so that you could experience this relationship with him. And that in the process, you will see his healing and his wholeness working itself out in your life. If only 
you will spend time with him. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. And this morning, we're going to do things a little differently. I want to invite our prayer partners to come forward as well. And I just want to acknowledge this morning that it's possible that this morning, the Spirit of God may be speaking to you in a new way and that the invitation to come to Jesus is is one that you need to hear and that you need to respond to in a new way today. And if that's you, we're going to give you some opportunities to do that. Number one, you can do that right in the chair where you're sitting. You can say yes to Jesus in your heart, and you can welcome him as your savior and as the lover and healer of your soul. And and maybe it's even the first time that you've ever done that, and you can do that this morning. All you got to do is say, yes, Jesus, I recognize that I don't have the wisdom and the strength to manage my life, to care for my own soul. I need your saving work in me. Come through your spirit and I will follow you. If you'd like to actually respond by coming to Jesus in some way physically, you can come and you can kneel at the steps. During this song, you can allow the spirit to lead you how God wants you to respond. Maybe it's to come and kneel at the steps. Our prayer partners are here to pray with you. If you'd like to be prayed for, they can pray for you. Or maybe there's some other way that the Spirit would move you this morning. We invite you to do that as well. Let me pray for us. And then have the worship team lead us in this invitation. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, come now. We need your love. We need your grace. We need your healing in our lives. And we ask that you would restore us again to the fullness of God's spirit at work within us. We thank you for the invitation, not only to follow you, but to come to you, not only this day, but every day and forevermore. We ask you, Jesus, bless us now.